0: If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. Today is a uh pretty on point because I had actually planned on talking about this before, but now that there was a vote as of today, the appropriations committee voted, I believe seven to two along party lines, obviously Democrats in favor, Republicans opposed. Um, don't quote me on those numbers. I think it was seven to two, but it may have been something different that, uh, they are going to send the single payer healthcare bill to the floor of the assembly to vote on. Now there's a lot of steps that it has to go through before it gets to actually be a bill. So there is a lot of kind of consternation that it did pass the appropriations bill it passed without like really any pushback at all. Uh, but at the same time it's step one in the fact that this is trying to get through. Now we're going to talk about a bunch of things. We're going to go over sort of the bill. I picked out some of the nitty gritty stuff that's buried deep in it. So you don't have to kind of look at this entire gobbledygook cause it's a lot of gobbledygook. And as an attorney, they really like to write everything out. Um, and make this a huge, huge bill. That's going to control a lot of the healthcare industry. I mean, it's going to control everything about the healthcare industry. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the breakdown, the financial implications. Then we're going to talk about, obviously the taxes that are going to go along with it, how bad these taxes are and probably why Gavin Newsom or noodles as we like to call them here on this program. Yep. I'm wearing my noodle shirt just for today. Why it's, why he might be backing away from this and not going full throated support for single payer just yet, even though he said he wants to expand Medi-Cal for undocumented citizens um, or that's what he called it, und- undocumented citizens. Uh, he doesn't want to support single payer. For some reason, a lot of people are already angry with him. that, But this is probably why he probably is kind of trying to distance himself from it. Uh, but there's a lot to get to first time in a while I've been flying solo on the podcast. This is pretty interesting. I haven't done this in a while, Um, but either way we're going to jump right into it because there is so much to get to. And I pulled a lot of stuff for you. Obviously the links are always going to be in the show notes. So if you listen to the audio podcast, there's the show notes. I'll put all the links in there um, and I'll try and put them up in the YouTube description as well. So you can follow along, or if you want to go see this for yourself that I'm not making any of this up, this is all stuff you can look up yourself. Um, and if you feel like you want to put yourself through some sort of misery you you have some sort of masochist mentality where you want to go through and read this entire ab 1400 be my guest you can go ahead and read it and pull out stuff yourself but at the end of the day uh that's why i did this so that you can kind of get a better idea we're going to kind of do like a little bit of a summary so what i have on the screen right here is the bill uh, highlighted with some different important aspects that I think that everybody really needs to kind of know. We're going to go over also well as the bill analysis, which talks about the financials. And so this is the introduction portion where it says the legislature finds and declares, and it talks about why it believes that it needs to introduce this bill. Correct. Uh, so the first thing I pulled out to address the fiscal crisis facing the healthcare system and the state, and to ensure Californians get the healthcare they need, comprehensive healthcare coverage needs to be provided. Billions of dollars that could be spent on providing equal access to healthcare are wasted on administrative costs necessary in a multiplayer, multi-payer healthcare system. Resources and costs spent on administration would be dramatically reduced in a single-payer system, allowing healthcare professionals and hospitals to focus on patient care instead. Right off the bat, I, uh, I have a problem with that one point, which is if you think that the government has ever, 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 ever taken taxpayer money and made things more efficient i would love to hear an example you can always email me at california underground at protonmail.com i'd love to hear some sort of example of where the where the government and it can be anywhere in the country where the government has taken your taxpayer money and made things more efficient and cheaper by that matter uh you'll be hard pressed to find one that's for sure so basically already the legislator is saying legislator is saying hey we believe if we're going to be spending billions of dollars on healthcare every year, why not just give it all to the government and we can do a better job with it? Never really happens. Great idea. Never really happens. Um, dramatically reduced in a single payer system. I doubt that there would be reduced costs in, in administration. And so and when it comes to allowing healthcare professionals and hospitals to focus on patient care instead, I've heard from a lot of doctors and a lot of doctors who want to get out of the profession of being a doctor because of the fact that they have to deal with a lot of this bureaucracy, especially when the Obamacare passed, the Affordable health Care, the Affordable Care Act passed. They had to deal with a lot of more negotiation, dealing with these issues, dealing with the government. And it became so much of a headache that a lot of these doctors have just kind of stopped being doctors because the medical profession is so much more of a pain to deal with insurance companies. And then you have to deal with the government. They have to deal with Medicare. And then I've always heard complaints from doctors about how they don't want to deal with Medicare or Medicaid or all that stuff because it's such a pain. Um, So the fact that they're saying, oh, let the government handle it and we'll allow you to focus on patient care instead. Doubtful. Again, great idea. I don't think it's going to work. So skipping over all the gobbledygook, and I like to call it the gobbledygook because it's a lot of gobbledygook. It's a lot of stuff that Doesn't really, you don't really need to know. I mean, like, these are all definitions. You don't need to know all that stuff. However, there is one definition that is pretty important. Resident means an individual whose primary place of abode is in this state. This is important. Keep this definition in mind. Without regard to the individual's immigration status, who meets the California residence requirements adopted by the board pursuant to subdivision K of section 10610. The board shall be guided by the principles and requirements set forth in the Medi Cal program under Article 7, Chapter 2 of Subdivision 1, blah, blah, blah. So, resident in their mind means anyone whose primary place of abode, meaning where you live, is in this state without regard to individual's immigration status, which is. Right there in black and white, this is what a lot of people feared is that if undocumented citizens can take advantage of taxpayer funded, single payer healthcare, that could create a problem with, with a lot of maybe that, that ideal idea of like a magnet for people in central America to come here because they know if they get here, you're provided pretty much free healthcare. You don't have to worry about, you're going to get healthcare. That's one magnet that a lot of people are worried about when it comes to single payer like this um and the the bill does go on to say that there should be no discrimination based on immigration status which we'll get to calcare shall be governed by an executive board known as the CalCare board consisting of nine voting members who are residents of california remember residence is sort of a loose term as long as you live in california you're a resident the calcare board shall be an independent public entity not affiliated with an agency or department of the board Uh, The members of the board, five shall be appointed by the governor, two shall be appointed by the Senate Committee on Rules, and two shall be appointed by the Speaker of the Assembly. The Secretary of California Health and Human Services or the Secretary's designee shall serve as a non-voting ex-officio member of the board. Uh, Appointments by the governor shall be confirmation, shall be subject to confirmation by Senate, which, you know, when you have a supermajority in the Senate and you have a Democratic governor, basically anybody can get in. Don't worry. Any lackey, or any sort of uh, crony uh, lobbyist can definitely get in when the Democrats have control of the Senate and the governor a member of the board may continue to serve until the appointment and qualification of the member's successor Vacancies shall be filled by appointment for the unexpired term the board shall elect the chairperson on annual basement now this is this is where I want to point out something interesting um, because follow the money always follow the money Appointments to the board shall be made as follows. Two healthcare professionals who practice medicine. One registered nurse, sounds good so far. One public health professional, good. One mental health professional, sure. One member with an institutional provider background, also good. One representative of a not-for-profit organization that advocates for individuals who use healthcare in California. And then one representative of a labor organization. Yeah one representative of a labor organization. Now it's, it's like that old song you saw on Sesame street. Like one of these things is not like the other, a labor organization. Why, why would you need someone from a labor organization? I guess to maybe try and advocate on behalf of employees, but everyone here has some sort of background in healthcare. And then all of a sudden you throw in one representative of a labor organization. Now, we know from Lorena Gonzalez, members like her, that the unions in California have a very, very strong grip on politicians, especially Democratic politicians, because the cycle is continuous, whereby they give jobs or they give a lot of handouts and contracts to a lot of labor unions. The labor unions then raise dues and then they take those dues and then they turn around, donate them to Democratic politicians. And this cycle never ends so why would you think a representative of a labor organization would have to be on a board regarding health care probably because when you're talking about spending billions and billions and billions of dollars hundreds of billions of dollars uh, the labor unions are not going to sit idly by and not get some sort of slice of the pie in terms of the old godfather movie. Uh, I need to wet my beak a little bit. So, keep going down, keep going down, keep going down. More gobbledygook. Uh, This was the advisory board, and now it's two representatives of organized labor, and at least one representing registered nurses. Okay, so at least that's a little bit more connected to healthcare, but again, now labor gets two seats at the board. Keep going down. We'll keep going down sorry this is a lot to get through so um a lot of this is just kind of going on and going on a lot of stuff that's not really like if you want to dive into this be my guest i i read through it and um i was able to peruse it pretty well and it doesn't nothing really stood out to me it's a lot of kind of administrative stuff all right so we get to eligibility and enrollment Now remember that definition every resident and a resident of california is what somebody who has their principal place of abode or principal abode here in california regardless of immigration status meaning as long as you live in california as long as your primary address and where you live is here in california you qualify for this single-payer health care system so eligibility first right off the bat every resident so that's everybody, everybody who lives in California of the state shall be eligible and entitled to roll as a member of Calcare. That's their fancy name Calcare. It's going to be called Calcare. Um, another interesting point is that a college university or other institution of higher education in the state may purchase coverage under Calcare for a student or student's dependent who is not a resident of the state. Again, it's not a big deal. I mean there, but there's a lot of students who come in from out of state, who now all of a sudden are going to be getting free health care for just being here in California. And they may not even stay in California. They may go to school in California, then they leave. And as we know, students don't really contribute a lot in taxes. If anything, they usually are the ones getting the refunds every year uh, because they don't make enough money. So they'll be taking free health care from the system. But at the end of the day, they won't be giving money back into the system as they should be. Um, even if they're not technically a resident of the state so you could be at, from out of state and someone who's a dependent on that student can get free health care under this single-payer health care uh, so again you don't uh, that's another loophole if you want to get health care you can just come to california now i don't know if that's really going to make a big difference because you can stay on your parents health and in, health insurance until you're 26 under obamacare but again if you're a student and regardless of whether or not you are a resident, you will get eligibility for free health care under the single payer system. Uh, all residents of the state, no matter what their sex, race, color, religion, ancestry, national origin, disability, age, previous or existing mental condition, genetic information, marital status, familial status, military or veteran status, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity or expression, pregnancy, pregnancy-related medical condition, including termination of pregnancy, citizenship, primary language or immigration status are entitled to full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, privileges, or services and all healthcare providers participate in Calcare. Basically, they're not going to discriminate based on anything, which is fine. Sure. I mean, we shouldn't be discriminating based on anything, but, uh, this does, that's the bigger issue is how much this is going to cost when people who come here who are not citizens or whether they're not residents, whether they're students or they just came here, they'll still have the opportunity to get access to this. Uh, Then it talks about all the additional healthcare items and services. Um, I mean, it's all your basic stuff. I was trying to see if there was anything they tried to squeeze in here. They basically covered the gamut on all of this. Um, Again, a lot of these bills, because they have to go so in depth, they they list as much as possible. And then they always add like the savings clause where they can say, Oh, well, anything else the board determines at the end of the day. So that does give a lot of discretion to this board that they can start to add stuff to this after the fact. Uh, a healthcare provider shall enter into a participation agreement with the board to qualify as a participating provider under CalCare. A participation agreement between the board and a healthcare provider shall include provisions for at least the following as applicable to each provider. Healthcare items and services to members shall be furnished by the provider without discrimination as required by section 10621. This paragraph does not require the provision of a type of class or class of healthcare items or services that are outside the scope of the provider's normal practice. Charge shall not be made to a member for a covered healthcare item or service other than for payment authorized by this title. The provider shall follow the policies. uh, Blah, blah, blah. Keep going. Keep going wading through the gobbledygook here. So, and I'm not lying to you. I went through this whole thing. I perused this entire thing and I pulled out some of the most important stuff that you need to see. All right. Um, okay. This is talking about payment. Not really that interesting. I thought it'd be a little bit more interesting. Um, there was one other thing that I want to make up that I want to talk about, but I have to get through all of this because it's a lot to get through. Ah, the board shall engage in good faith negotiations with healthcare providers representatives under Chapter 8 to determine rates of fee for service payment for healthcare items and services furnished under CalCare. So the board is going to negotiate with providers. Now, when the government gets involved in any sort of providing of services have you in your life seen that those services go down or do they end up going up? Um, Now they say they're going to release the schedule as to what those fees can be, Um, but who's to say if the money is guaranteed? Now, again, this is only past the appropriations committee, meaning it goes to the assembly floor, meaning they get to vote on it which means it goes over the senate and the senate makes revisions and then it goes back to the assembly and they either accept them or they add more revisions so this can bounce back and forth plenty of times have you ever seen in any time where the government gets involved with any sort of industry and they start to negotiate on your behalf as opposed to you as a consumer just going to a private business and going hi i'd like to buy your services Uh, how much is it okay i'm competing for this consumer therefore Uh, I'm going to charge a pretty reasonable rate and I'm going to charge uh, some sort of competitive rate because I believe I'm better. But when you get the government involved and the government pays and foots the bill for everything, do you believe it goes up or it goes down? In my lifetime, I've only seen government get involved and things go up. Um, So they are going to try and do these good negotiations. I doubt that these neg- negotiations will, you know, and, and a lot of times healthcare providers, they may release a schedule. And I'll keep this in mind, this is another problem. They may release a schedule where they say, this is what we believe fees and costs are going to be. And this is what you're gonna have to agree to if you wanna be a part of this program. Private entities or providers such as a Kaiser or a Sharp or something like that may push back and say, well, no that's not how much it costs and you're really kind of cutting us off at the knees here and then they kind of go back and forth so they may undercut them or they may overcharge them and in reality it's that third party mentality where if there's a third party negotiating for your health care on your behalf you don't get to be in those negotiations you don't get to say well i only want this amount of health care i don't need that much health or maybe i have a pre-existing condition so i need to get more You don't get to negotiate that with your insurance company or your provider. Instead, you're letting the government do it for you, which you're you're over here. You're not even really a thought because you're not a party to this negotiation. Instead, it's the government that is sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars and these providers who want access to those hundreds of billions of dollars. And inevitably, I feel like either greed or or malfeasance always comes into play and it never ends well um let's see keep going keep going wading through the gobbledygook that's going to be the that should be the name of this this episode is waiting through the gobbledygook because that's what this is right now uh the calcare trust fund we're going to come back to what this calcare trust fund is and how they're going to fund it is hereby created in the state treasury for the purposes of this title to be administered by the calcare board Notwithstanding section 13340 all monies in the fund shall be continuously appropriated without regard to fiscal year for the purposes of this title any monies in the fund that are unexpended or unencumbered at the end of the fiscal year may be carried forward to the next succeeding fiscal year the way i read this is that every year you have to spend the money um, meaning you have to find something to spend it on you don't get to set, you, you don't you should be appropriating it to something Now, somehow, I don't know how, if you're supposed to appropriate it all the time, if you have any unexpended money or you don't have any spent money, you can carry it over to the next year. That means that you still have to spend all the money next year, but if you have any left over, you get to carry it over to the next year. It sounds like they want you to spend all the money every year and empty the entire trust fund every year, and then you're probably not likely going to carry over a lot of money. Um, I would doubt that they're going to carry over any money because as we've just been saying, none of this is really efficient and none of it will be as efficient as they think it's going to be. And even though they released this, this number of what the annual budget or annual number is going to be, I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to that. It'll probably be a lot more than that. They probably did some fancy tap dancing with the numbers to make it look better than it is. Uh, A lot of people are saying, Oh, well, it looks like we're actually, we'd be spending less on healthcare if we all went to single payer. Sure, there's probably some fancy accounting done there to make it look better, but um, in terms of this specific section, it sounds like they have to spend all the money every year. And that means that there's never going to be a surplus or there's never going to be amount of money that they can roll over every year and go, well, we have an extra amount of money, we're not going to, maybe we we lower taxes for a year because we have so much money left over. <laughs> They they got to spend the money. Remember, follow the money. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to have their hands in this honey pot. Uh, there's going to be a lot of picks at the trough when it comes to this healthcare single payer plan. All right, so that's the, the the text of the bill. I did want to go over what is called a bill analysis. So this is usually what they release. Um, the legislative and, and an analyst office will kind of release this two or three page summary so you don't have to go through 10 or 15 pages of the gobbledygook um and you can sit down and kind of get a better idea and this is straight from the assembly legislative uh, uh, legislative analysis analyst well, i don't know why i can say it. analyst analysis uh this just kind of goes over what they were saying before what the whole point of it was um uh, but i want to get down to the fiscal effect um This is from the bill analysis. It says the authors of the P E R I study estimated that through implementation of SB five, six, two overall costs of providing SB five. It was like a, a previous bill, um, that they tried to introduce, you know, they've been trying to do single payer for like a long time. Like if you put in single payer California, you'll see articles dating back to like 2012. So this is not the first time they've taken a crack at it. Um, so SB 562, overall cost of providing full health care coverage to all Californians could fall by about 18% relative to spending levels under the existing system. On the whole, the PERI analysis predicted that although SB 562's single-payer system would be expensive, its cost in taxes would ultimately be lower than what Californians were paying to private insurers. The overall annual cost of this single payer system for California would be 331 billion as of 2017, equivalent to 356.5 billion in 2021. So that's the number they're saying it's going to cost 356 billion, 356.5 billion um, in 2021 dollars. Now, keep in mind, I think the annual budget for California is only around 200 billion dollars, so it, it's not like this this huge. I don't know where they, they get this idea that they, they have all this money laying around. Um, another thing that I always find interesting is they may say, sure, if you give the government all of this money, if you give the government all of this money, it will cost less because we won't be spending as much and that the citizens may not be spending as much to private insurers. The problem with that, though, is The problem with that, though, is is you've taken away, effectively, the choice of the people to spend that money. So you could spend more money if you need to spend more money on health insurance. If you want the Cadillac of health insurance, you can spend the Cadillac on health insurance. If you don't want to spend the Cadillac and you want to buy the cheapest health insurance, you can buy the cheapest health insurance. So this, this number is kind of like misleading in the sense that they say, well, yeah, if we provide everybody with a healthcare plan, it's going to cost them this amount of money. That's a pie in the sky sort of number because you're assuming that everyone's going to be getting the same healthcare access or that everyone's going to stick to that amount of money. Um, You're also keeping this number as to how many people are here in California at this time. There are going to be people, people are leaving, but like I've said before, when it comes to being a magnet for any sort of illegal immigration or people who want to come to a certain state in America, they're going to come to the state where they can get free health care. And you're, you're not accounting for what's going to happen there. So it's sort of a pie in the sky number to say it's $356.5 billion right now in 2021. dollars, But you're also not assuming that people don't have that choice anymore to pay for the health insurance that they want and it's going to cost more it's inevitably always going to cost more you can sit here and say this is our estimate but when it comes to the government it always ends up costing more uh according to the author the u.s healthcare system is complex fragmented, multi-payer system that still leaves wide gaps in coverages um blah 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 The highest uninsured rates will be among undocumented California, 65% and those eligible only for insurance through Covered California, 28%. Uh, And this is talking about right now, according to who's covered it and who's not. On January 10th, 2022, Governor Newsom released the proposed 2022-2023 budget, which includes funding to expand Medi-Cal to all income eligible Californians. So this is what I mentioned before, is that noodles has said that he's in favor of a single payer, um, but he hasn't gone so far as to really push for a single payer. And now it seems like he's kind of backing away from the single payer. So this bill is making its way through the assembly, correct? This is the single payer proposal. Noodles, Governor Noodles wants to propose that they expand Medi-Cal to income uh, eligible Californians. That's a different proposal than what's going on here. That's not like this is cal care is the single payer he wants to expand medi-cal so there are two different proposals that are going on right now he says he just wants to expand medical to people who are eligible for it this bill will make it so it's single payer and everybody has to kind of sign up for government health care we're going to talk about that in a little bit about why he might be backing away from it but just to, to kind of note that that's his proposal is that he wants this and the assembly is now pushing this uh, ACA. This is the related constitutional amendment. Now, constitutional amendments do have to be voted on by the people. So when you you uh, propose a constitutional amendment, especially like this, it has to be approved by the people. And we'll look at the text of that where it says it does have to propose to the people ACA, which is a, a what's the name? A, a constitutional amendment. Imposes the following taxes on businesses: annual excise tax of 2.3 of gross receipts above two million dollars, payroll tax of 1.25 for companies with at least 50 employees, payroll tax of 1% for employees with wages exceeding 49 uh, $49 dollars per year. ACA 11 also includes a series of individual income tax increases, starting with a 0.5 levy percent on income over 149 thousand dollars under 49, $509,000 per year and ending at 2.5 marginal income tax for income over 2.48 million per year with annual adjustment for inflation based on the California consumer price index in which can be suspended by the legislature. And that's something we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit more because that's, that's pretty scary. That's, that's, that's what should scare everybody about this is that it's great it's this pie in the sky idea but even people who think that they're going to get away with this and not have to pay more in taxes it turns out you are probably going to end up paying more in taxes if you think well i'll just let the rich people pay for it uh in this case everyone's going to be paying for it not and that's the other thing i i'm trying to wrap my head around right now is if this is so much more affordable and taxpayers are saving more money. Why the need to impose all of these taxes? I guess to initially fund it, but, it, you know, why raise all these taxes every year to make it more expensive for people to live? Uh, ACA also authorizes the legislature upon economic analysis determining insufficient amounts to fund CalCare to increase any or all of these tax rates as specified. ACA 11 is pending referral in the Assembly Rules Committee that's also very scary. Let me take a drink here real quick. Um, what the bill would do, what ACA would do is it would allow for them to raise taxes to just to, for this, just to fund this without any sort of going back to the people anymore. It would just be a super, super, super uh, simple majority. I mean, it could be 51% of the legislature. It doesn't have to be a super majority anymore let's see, finish this up. Um, all right, let's go to the next thing, which is I want to go back and add the stream. Oop. What am I doing here? I've never done this really before. So here we go. Share screen. I want to share this next screen. Um, have to do this. Doing this on the fly. There we go. All right. This is the next thing I want to talk about, which is the actual money behind it. Um, this is ACA. So assembly constitutional mem a resolution to propose to the people, of the state of California amendment to the constitution of the state. This is to fund the CalCare Trust Fund, meaning before they can even get CalCare off the ground, it has to be linked to this because without the funding, it, it, it's not going to really do anything. You can pass anything, but if it's not funded, you can't do anything with the program. And it's this is a lot shorter than the actual bill. And this talks about, and we'll talk more about the taxes. This is the, This is really the breakdown. Um, and, and there's a good article we're going to talk about that really breaks it down in a specific language as to what is going on here. Um, let's see. Notwithstanding a law and promises, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, notwithstanding Section three of Article 13A or any provision of the Constitution upon economic analysis, determining insufficient amounts in the Calcare Trust Fund. Established pursuant to Section 2 for the funding of comprehensive universal single-payer health care coverage, a health care cost control system, and necessary reserves. A statute may be passed to increase any or all of the tax rates imposed pursuant to this section by an act approved by a majority vote of the entire membership of each of the two houses. Approved by a majority vote. Not a supermajority. Not two-thirds. We're talking about that all they have to do from here if this is approved from here on for eternity that if they're for some reason they're running out of money in that calcare trust fund they can just continually raise taxes every single year they can say oh we don't have enough money we need to raise taxes we need to raise taxes here so from here on eternity they they've given themselves the ability to raise taxes for this plan on a simple majority not a super majority so we you know how i've always talked about The first step to kind of turning around California is we have to get rid of the Democratic supermajority in our legislature. Now, that wouldn't be enough under this plan, even if we got rid of the Democratic supermajority, which would make it harder for them to get these supermajority items passed and these tax issues passed. This means it's just a simple majority. I mean, they can just 51 people or or 51 percent of the people can just vote and say we need to raise the taxes. That's the scariest thing. Now, I'm going to go back to um, this other page because I want to switch this out again. We're going to go back to uh, this article that I have pulled out for you from the Tax Foundation, who did a really good breakdown of what is going on here. And I think that's important for us to to kind of read and go over. Um, here we go. Uh, a proposed constitutional amendment, ACA 11, which we talked about, would increase taxes by $12,250 per household, roughly doubling the state's already high tax collections to fund a first-in-the-nation single-payer healthcare system. The top marginal rate on wage income runs sore to 18.05% nationally. And the median top marginal rate is 5.3%. And the state would adopt a new 2.3% of gross receipts tax at a rate more than three times that of the country's highest current pure GRT. That's terrifying right there. That opening paragraph should be the most terrifying thing you've heard when it comes, California loves to spend and get your taxes. Well, California, there's no tax that they don't think is too high. Um, the new taxes would take three forms, Sir taxes atop the current individual income tax structure beginning at $149,509 in income, a graduated rate payroll system with the top rate kicking in for employers with more than $49,990 in annual income, and a gross receipts tax of 2.3%, exceeding the first $2 million of business income. Okay, now let's dive into the details, why this is really so scary. Uh, And he compares in Ohio, for instance, there is a 026 percent gross receipts tax adopted to replace the state's corporate income tax in California. By contrast, a two point three percent gross receipts tax, almost nine times Ohio's rate wouldn't be imposed in addition to a tangible property taxes and an eight point eight four percent corporate income tax and an aggressive one at that. The only state level corporate income tax in the country with a worldwide tax base. So they're comparing, uh, uh, let's talk about, let's step back here and talk about what gross receipt tax are. Uh, he goes into a, a little bit more about what gross receipts tax are gross receipts means what you, you get. so there's this idea, there's the gross and there's the net, you get a gross revenue and then you get your net revenue. Um, meaning as a business, if you took all the money you get, That's your gross. That's everything that you get. Everything that comes through your cash register everything that comes through your credit card processor, that's your gross. Um, now the net is what happens, what you get after you spend business expenditures, such as payroll, supplies, utilities, keeping the lights on marketing. Basically all those expenditures that businesses get to write off because they say, well, it costs this much to. Do business. You shouldn't tax me on that stuff. So usually you get taxed on your net. Here in California, what they're proposing is that it would be a two per three, 2.3% gross receipts, meaning they're gonna tax based on what you get already. Um, and if you have if you have really small profit margins, this could actually exceed the amount of your profit margins, making it shockingly. I mean, you don't have to be an economist to, to figure this out it will make it even harder for you to do business here in California. And a lot of businesses, probably a lot of corporations will probably get up and just go, I'm not going to do this anymore. Screw this. I'm not making a profit here. So I'm out of here. So that's one way to really kill the economy here in California. Um, and then he talks about this payroll tax. Now payroll tax exempts employers with fewer than 50 resident employees, punishing small businesses for expanding and creating a meaningful tax cliff. We've seen this before we've seen this with the Obamacare issue is that you don't have to use Obamacare you're not required to implement some sort of health care program until you hit a threshold of amount of employees. so a lot of people said what that would do was stifle economic growth because at a certain point you're going to go, well I can't afford if I if I go one more employee over now all of a sudden I got this huge health care bill and I got to provide health care to my employees based on this law um That's that's a disincentive for businesses to grow. So this is his oversimplified hypothetical. Uh, he says, imagine a company with forty-nine employees making eighty thousand dollars each. At forty-nine employees, the company has no payroll tax burden. Hiring one additional employee generates a tax bill of ninety thousand dollars more than the employee's actual salary. So now that business would likely just sit there and go, well, I can't hire more. I can't grow. I can't take on new contracts because I can't grow as much as I want to stifling economic growth. And they don't really seem to see the problem with this. I see the problem with this. That is you're, you're disincentivizing businesses to be here and businesses to grow here. And it's no wonder why you saw businesses like Tesla and you're seeing businesses like, even Google is moving a lot to Austin. Um, Oracle is out. They've moved out of the, the state as well. So a lot of these big companies, they keep getting slammed with tax after tax after tax. They're, they're moving out. Um, here he talks about the gross receipts. Uh, they're widely understood as extremely disruptive and inequitable taxes because they're imposed on businesses without regard to their profit margins. For low margin businesses like supermarkets, 2.3% of gross receipts may literally exceed current profits, even if the company is doing well. For instance, Kroger's profit margins dipped to 0.75% in late 2020. Remember, Elizabeth Warren said that uh, Kroger, big, big, evil Kroger, is making all this money and all this profit, and they're not sharing the wealth. And it's not fair. They're the ones who are really stoking inflation. Why you pay more at the grocery store? Remember? even though their, their gross profit margins or their profit margins last year were 0.75%. Um, and that historically their profit margins have been 1.75%, almost a, a full percentage point lower. These taxes are even worse for businesses posting losses, including startups that haven't turned profitable yet because they're taxed on their receipts even if their expenditures exceed revenues. For startups, a high rate gross receipts could be disastrous. So again, let's dive into this. You start a business, you spend a lot of money to get that business going. Um, you, you make a certain amount of money that year. now, you don't, you don't post a profit because you spend a lot of money. You're, you're, you're basically in the red at the end of the first year, which is normal. A lot of businesses do that. They don't end the year with, um, more money than they, they started with. And, That's because you're growing, because you're spending money on expenditures. Maybe you hired employees because congratulations, you're doing so well. You can hire employees. Um, But at the end of the year, you didn't post any real big profits. You're still kind of struggling to get through to the next year. California basically wants to say, I don't care if you spent more to get your business going. How much did you make? And you can say, well, we made $100,000 this year. They're still going to tax you. They're still going to tax you and say, I don't care if you don't have the money and you don't have that extra money laying around to pay for the taxes. You're going to have to pay it because that's what they're asking for when it comes to gross tax receipts. Um, This is even scarier for families. So while California state income tax avoids a marriage penalty for most filers by doubling bracket with there's already an additional 1% above 1 million, which is not adjusted. the new cert taxes do not. So these are the income surtaxes taxes that are going to be added on. The $149,509 kick in of the 0.5% tax applies to individual or household income equally. Used to be that there was sort of an exemption if you were married, you, you know, the the numbers were a little bit different because it's a combined household. Here, as long as the whole household makes basically $150,000, over $150,000, you're going to be subject to this new surtax which for a lot of people in California is pretty reasonable That's a lot of people in California as a household who make $150,000. Uh, I mean, you're really only talking about two people making what 75,000 a year, 80,000 a year, which is not that crazy to think in a lot of places in California. Guess what? You're going to be paying more in your income taxes. Taxpayers earning less than 50,000 would face inclusive of the new payroll tax, double digit marginal tax rates. That's right. Cause usually under 50,000, you don't spend or you don't get taxed. Right. But now even under this, you're still going to get taxed at a certain amount. Um, then he talks about this bracket kicking. in if you're single. Um, so even under all the way down to like 9,000, you're going to get taxed at 3.25% of your income. So these are all the different taxes. You, you can look this up. I'm going to post the links to it. Um, and we talked about this as well uh, that a simple majority could basically just continue to raise all of these taxes whenever they need to. And uh, that's basically it for the article. So, and then the last thing I want to get to, and then if you have any questions or anybody wants to bring up something in the chat, we can certainly do that, but I want to go back to this. Right over here. Mm-hmm. Here we go. This is the article I was talking about. Uh, this is from Cal Matters, which says Newsom backs away from single payer health care pledge. Um, talks about, he said, I campaign on universal health care. Newsom said a day later, we're delivering that. Uh, while running for governor in 2018, Newsom pledged to create a single payer system for California, making the state the sole supplier of coverage, quote, I'm tired of politicians saying they would support single payer, but it's too soon, too expensive for someone else's problem. Newsom said during a campaign uh, and that pledge won the support of single payer advocates. Um, nurses trust Newsom. However, once elected, Newsom did virtually nothing to implement the promise. Instead, as the state finances allowed, he extended medical coverage incrementally to undocumented immigrants and others lacking private or public coverage, along with mandates and subsidies from Obamacare. State actions eventually raised health coverage to 94% of Californians, and Newsom's latest extension to undocumented adults would make it, at least on paper, 100%. So I guess that's where he's going with this: is that everyone would have health care under his plan. Uh, Newsom gets a bit testy when reporters ask him about his 2018 pledge, as he was introducing his budget this month, the state assembly was beginning to move with single payer, which we've just gone into, uh, excruciating detail. I think the quote, I think that the ideal system is a single payer system. Newsom said, I've been consistent with that for well over a decade. The difference here is when you are in a position of responsibility. You've got to apply. You've got to manifest the ideal. This is hard work. It's one thing to say it. It's another to do it. And with respect, there are many different pathways to achieve that goal. Uh, Nurses, Union and other single payer advocates aren't satisfied. So we want to be absolutely clear. And this is from Alyssa Kang, the single payer advocate. This is a flip-flop from a governor who said, I'm tired of politicians saying they support single payer, but it's too soon, too expensive for someone else's problem. This is absolutely unacceptable, and he cannot be allowed to have it both ways. Uh, the differences between universal coverage and single payer are more than semantic. The former includes a wide variety of public and private health insurance plans, many of which have coverage, limits, and patient co-pays, while the latter would provide unlimited free benefits, out-of-pocket costs. Much like Great Britain's national health system, which, if you ask a lot of people in Britain, they're not crazy about it. And a lot of people in Canada aren't really crazy about it either. Uh, with massive opposition from employers, much to the medical industry, chances for complete approval of the package are iffy at best, and it doesn't appear that Newsom will lift a finger to help it. He's clearly content to settle for universal health care or universal coverage. So, why, uh, you know, in 2022, why is that important? To understand why noodles is backing away from the single payer, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it because i think he doesn't want to see the the tax raises um he doesn't want to see he doesn't want to be linked i mean we just talked about those tax hikes and those are pretty substantial and i don't think he wants to be linked to that i don't think after a pandemic people getting back on their feet i don't think he wants to be kind of tied at the hip to a lot of those tax increases. Um, I don't think he wants to, I mean, he did face a recall yet last year. So no matter, even if he says 60% of people voted to keep him there, it doesn't, it it doesn't necessarily translate that in 2022, he's got a smooth sailing ride. I mean, there were millions of people who showed up to recall him. There are a lot of people who are angry with him. Um, there's people who probably voted to keep him because They didn't want the so-called Trump candidate when it comes to Larry Elder. Um, So that's a different race. Now, if you don't have a Larry Elder, which you're not going to have this year, it changes things because you may have an opponent who is a little bit more, let's say, moderate on a lot of stances that could pull away a lot of those disgruntled Democrats who may have held their tongue or held their nose and voted to keep Newsom last year. But this year, things may be different. So he may be trying to step away from the single payer cause he knows how bad it is. Now, if he's saying on the campaign trail and he's saying all this time that I believe the single payer is the ideal, why doesn't he support this? This might have the best chance to get through. And the fact that he's not shows you that he probably believes it's a big dud as well. And it does have to go to the people. Newsom probably won't support it if it has to go to the people, and it does require a certain amount of voters. I believe it really has to be two thirds threshold for the voters to approve it. So it does have a steep uphill climb. Now it's scary that this is even getting through, or trying to get through. This isn't the first time single payer health care has tried to get through. What's the moral of the story here? The moral of the story is that if you don't like this crazy legislation, that is continually being pushed. Here in California, stuff like single payer that would take over the entire healthcare system and increase your taxes almost by double, by your state taxes by double. Then you have to start focusing on changing the legislature and getting rid of the supermajority. That's step 1 that you have to focus on and we have to focus on is get rid of that Democratic supermajority so this doesn't ever happen again. Um What are my political predictions for this? I believe that it will probably make it through the assembly. The assembly will vote on it. Senate will go through it. It will probably go to the people. I think the people will likely vote it down because after a pandemic, I don't think they wanna see um, more taxes being raised. I think there'll be a good amount of push from PACs and super PACs and and a lot of businesses are gonna dump money into this to campaign against it i think if they they can successfully make the case that you're going to raise your taxes they'll push enough against this that people don't want to pay more in taxes as much as single payer sounds like a fantastic idea to some people i don't think it sounds like a fantastic idea that's just me personally um i think he'll it it will probably fail it won't get the funding and then that's the end of it it'll be done and without the funding it can't really go anywhere um, and without Newsom backing it, especially in an election year and tying himself to a single payer, I don't think a single payer would actually come to fruition. That doesn't mean to sit back and do nothing. It doesn't mean to sit back and just say, OK, well, it's not going to go anywhere. So why do I care? It You have to voice your opposition. I mean, even if you're in a Democratic district, you should still voice your opposition to this and let them know that this is expensive, that. You're not a fan of the raising of the taxes. You're afraid of the economic fallout on businesses and small businesses. If you're a small business owner, how much that's going to cost? I'm a small business owner. Um, you know this. This wants to tax business to business transactions. If you're working with businesses and not with consumers directly, they're going to start taxing that. A lot of this is bad news for the economy of California, especially recovering after a pandemic. This is not good. Um, this is pretty awful. So with that said, that's the breakdown of what's going on with the healthcare law. Now, it did pass the appropriations. It's going to go to a vote next week in the assembly. Then after it passes the assembly, it's going to go over to the Senate they're going to deliberate on it. They may make some changes and they'll send it back and it goes back and forth. Um, ACA is linked to it though. The ACA 11 is linked to it. And once that happens, it's going to have to be put out to the people. So it's still alive and well, it's got a rough road ahead of it. Even in California, single payer has a rough road ahead of it. And I think there'll be a lot of people who are probably gonna say no to it. And, uh, now, you know, now you can educate people and you can say, this is why you should be against the single payer, why it's going to be expensive, why it's going to hurt the economy. Um, and that's basically it because the most important thing is that you want to be, uh, educate about this stuff. So, With that said, thank you for tuning in as always. uh, Every Wednesday live on Instagram, we do Coffee and California Politics. We do the podcast usually live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Today, this week was a little bit of a uh, abnormality. abnormality. Uh, We're going to be back to the normal schedule next week. Uh, A lot of events coming up. A lot of stuff. 2022 is going to be a big year. So thank you again for tuning in. Like, share, subscribe, do all that. Uh, Spread the word and um, let more people know about the podcast. And I will see you on the next one. Later.